I'm Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver, and I am here with my co-host and partner in crime solving, Christy Brower. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> How'd you like that intro? I liked it a lot. That was very good. That was off the cuff. I want you to know. I'm impressed. It's almost <laughs> like you're psychic or something. Weird. Almost. A little bit. <laughs> Well, hey guys, we are happy to be here. We have, I have a case for you today. Before we get into that, we always check in and say hello. So Christy, how are you? How's it going? I'm very well. It's going great. I'm enjoying summer and excited about being outside. I have been experimenting this week because our air conditioning is broken. Mm. Boo on that. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's going to be fixed very soon. But in the meantime, I don't want to use my oven in my house because it already yeah. feels like an oven in here. So I have been experimenting with baking and like baking casseroles and meatloaf and stuff like that on my gas grill. Nice. How's it and going? It's going really well. I mean, it, anything that needs a really specific um, temperature, I would not recommend this, but things that, you know, can well, maybe you know, don't can bake a with. cake this way. I would make a cake. I made cookies and I burned the ever loving shit out of them to be perfectly honest. Um, but that's just me learning how to uh, adjust as well. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm having a great time with it. I made a meatloaf and several casseroles. They all turned out really good. Well, and cool. my house did not get heated up. So I'm having fun with that. Brilliant. And then your whole neighborhood got to know what you're making for dinner too. Yes. Oh yeah. So it always that. really good in the backyard. So mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, cool. Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. How are I you? I hate to admit that I have not cooked dinner this entire week. Well, you have an excuse. <laughs> we have had softball games, uh, either my daughter or my niece, every night this week. Mm -hmm. uh, and honestly, like, I, but this, when June comes, I just know we are going to be flying by the seat of our pants. Probably better to not buy as many groceries and just plan on grabbing something because that's about all the time you have, you know. Oh my gosh, there are so in many the evenings games. at least. Yeah. yeah. I get yeah. to as many as I can, but I can't go to all of them. There are a lot. Yeah. We had a really hilarious experience this week, you and I. <laughs> we are mean. Oh, I'm gonna say that right now. Did we? We are we're mean jerks, so just know that. I but <laughs> didn't mean for it to be mean. It just <laughs> struck me as so funny that I just almost didn't survive it. I almost mm -hmm. wrecked the car actually. <laughs> yeah. So in between games, Christy and I ran out to grab a drink. And uh, of course my kid didn't have the belt she thought she needed. We had to run to the sporting goods store, you know, thus goes softball. Mm -hmm. So we ran out in between games as we were driving down the road, an umpire from one of the games that had just finished who happens to be, I mean, how do you classify this guy? Really, really big ego, probably little wiener, you know, <laughs> the, oh, that kind of yeah, guy. Like, okay. Well, he literally to told us in a softball game once that he is never wrong. Yeah. I think that sums it up completely. Mm -hmm. He's yeah. never wrong. Yeah. I will say that last year in scorekeeping, um, there was a discrepancy and I was the scorekeeper mm -hmm. and I was home book. And when you're home book, if there's a discrepancy, they go by home book. And the other team attacked me hard. They're a scorekeeper. I frankly, I don't know if I've ever been spoken to like that in my entire life. And he jumped in and defended me with both barrels. So I got to say, that I'm going to give him props for that. But he's one of those. But see, he wasn't go, wrong in that situation. <laughs> true. true. Maybe he is never wrong. <laughs> he's one of those umps, though, that when the game starts, you're like, oh, uh oh, uh oh. Uh -oh. And yet. He's usually really good, but there's, he's a friend of me for sure. You know, mm -hmm. one of those. So we're driving down the road and we, he and, and the other ump 
they dress in quite a bit of gear. So before they can like get in their car and drive away, they have to strip out of it because you couldn't drive in all of those leg pads and stuff. Oh, yeah. And he's standing there in these spandex pants. And his legs are like toothpicks big around. Oh, yeah. Just mm-hmm. at, and so he has these really tight, he, his back was to us. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to tell you guys that. You can do whatever you want with that. <laughs> but these skin tight spandex pants with these little teeny toothpick legs and then a white like Under Armour tight like undershirt thing with these enormous love handles. And <laughs> it was, was like, the biggest muffin top legs, I've ever seen. Boing, and, and yeah. he's not a heavy guy. It was no. just the pressure of those <laughs> incredibly tight spandex pants. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he looked like Gru from uh, Despicable Me. Despicable Me. Yes, anyway, he definitely so we're mean did. jerks and we made fun of the way someone looks and we know that's bad and we'll probably go to hell for that. But we laughed all the way to the store. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure he just doesn't care and he probably doesn't notice what it looks like because he's always got clothes on top of it over uh-huh. over it. But I would just recommend that he get a new pair of spandex pants. Maybe just go up one size. That would probably solve the problem. Four. I would say four sizes, but that's four sizes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was just so the contrast of the white shirt and the black pants and the huge love handles and the teeny legs and the flat <laughs> butt. Oh my God. It was hilarious. <laughs> we was, laughed our asses off. We drove past. So it was just a snapshot, you know? Yeah. Anyway. It was just this quick moment of, oh my yeah. God, did you just see that? <laughs> So we're jerks and we know it, but damn, that was funny. Oh, so funny. So there you go. <laughs> so that's the kind of week we're having, but. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. So our case today yes. is a part of our Femme Fatale series mm-hmm. of female killers. Mm-hmm. We know that the uh, amount of female killers is much, much lower than the men, but women that kill, they be evil. Oh, my goodness. Don't they, though? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I am going to present a case to Christy today. This is a cold read case. And uh, there's some things about it that uh, remain unknown to this day that I thought maybe you could help mm-hmm. fill in the gaps for. So I we are talking about, best. yes. Now I sent you a picture of oh, her. Yes. Uh, her name is Sharon Kinney. Okay. Okay. Sharon Kinney. We had talked uh in our femme fatale cases we've talked before and, and also about Lori Vallow because she's one of our femme fatales we've been covering for a while. These are mm-hmm. the women with the golden vaginas. <laughs> no, <laughs> the women who just know they can suck men in. They can get them to do anything. Mm-hmm. This is just who they are. And I would say for sure that Sharon's probably one of those, you know, mm-hmm. that's rocking a golden pet set because she uh, looks like it. I got to admit, yeah. she's got that. She's got the look. Innocent girl next door look. Mm-hmm. That yep. is going to get you every time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, she has had several names. I'm going to tell them to you all. I'm going to try and pronounce them. And then I'm going to tell you her story. Okay. Her name, her, her given name was Sharon Elizabeth Hall. She was born in 1939 okay. in Missouri. She, her married name was Sharon Elizabeth Kinney. Okay. She also went by Jeanette Poglisse and was also known in Mexico as La Pistolera. You'll find out why soon. I was going to say, I I did take Spanish Uh in high school, so I have some guesses about that, but okay. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Well, 
Here's how her story goes. She was born and lived in Independence, Missouri. Christy, there's some things about this case that are going to give you a chuckle. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. All right. Independence, Missouri, if that sounds familiar to you at all. It certainly does. Mm -hmm. When she was in junior high, they moved to Washington State briefly. When she was 15, they moved back to Independence. When she was 16 in 1956, she started dating a 22-year-old college student named James Kinney. Mm. Really fell for him. She met him at a church function, and they dated regularly until he had to go back to college. He was headed back to Provo, Utah to Brigham Young University. (laughs) I knew it. I knew these were going to be Mormons. I knew it. The minute you said Independence, Missouri, I thought, "Mm, Mm -hmm. Mormon case. Yeah. Unfortunately, that may have proved to be his downfall. You'll find out why. She was deeply interested in finding a partner with prospects that could take her away from independence. She really wanted somebody who could get her the hell out of there. I have some thoughts about her family life. I'll let you fill in the gaps there if you choose to here. But uh, she wrote a letter to James, let him know that she was pregnant. So James took leave from BYU. And came home back to Independence and married her right away. This is big news, uh, mm-hmm. especially in 1939. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, you know, the Mormons, they're not be supposed to be doing that kind of stuff if before marriage. If someone at BYU got someone pregnant now, they would get kicked out of college. They wouldn't be going back. Right. But he came home. So some interesting things. They got married on October 18th, 1956. Their marriage license claimed that Kinney was 18, though she wasn't. She was 16, and that she was a widow. Now, who do you think fudged her marriage license? She did. Later, though at the time she declared, declared that a mistake, Later, she told people that she had been married when she lived in Washington to a man who had been killed in a car accident. At like 14, 13, Mm -hmm. 14? There's a real question there about what in the world is true. This sounds more to me like what a lot of our relatives did when there was an Um, out-of-wedlock marriage that they lied So I'm guessing this was a lie on their marriage certificate to make it seem as though she was pregnant with another man's baby, Mm -hmm. who a husband, of course, who she had been married to, who died. And now their sweet son is sweeping in to marry her and save the day. Yeah. We have relatives who lied on birth certificates and marriage certificates Um, to cover up these things. She most definitely did that herself, though. I have no doubt that that information came directly from her. Yeah. Very interesting. They had a second, more formal wedding a year later in the Salt Lake Temple. Okay. After she completed the process of joining the Latter-day Saints. So she wasn't actually a member of the church at the time. He was. She was not. See, that's a big deal, too, to Mm -hmm. marry a non-member. Yeah. Lots of uncommon stuff happening here. Yeah. Yes. After their wedding, they returned to Provo, Utah. He resumed his studies at BYU, but at the end of the fall semester, they ended up back in Independence where they both got jobs. She was babysitting and tending shops, and he was working as an electrical engineer at Bendix Aviation. Also, miraculously, 
I shouldn't be so sarcastic telling this story. I should just give you just the fact, but I can't because I'm just not like that. This is why I could never be a serious news person, guys. <laughs> no sarcasm and cussing allowed there. All right. Any thoughts on what happened with that baby? Sorry, I was mixed up in your sarcasm. Say it one more time. I said, any thoughts on what happened with that first pregnancy? With that first pregnancy, mm -hmm. uh, it didn't exist. Yeah, she, she magically lost it. Yeah. Yep, she yep, miscarried. She, mm -hmm. she tricked him into getting married. Yeah. A, a well-known tactic mm -hmm. of the femme fatale with the golden yeah. vagina. Yep, yep. Faking pregnancies. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. Well, she was pregnant again or for the first time. Very soon, in the fall of 1957, she gave birth to a baby girl they named Dana. So she turned out to be a real spendaholic. She mm. was working on spending all of their money all day. He was working nights, and she was no longer working. She had the baby, and then she had mm. another baby shortly thereafter. They built a home, and she was just putting them into an enormous amount of debt because all she wanted to do was shop and go out to lunch and then pretty soon start sleeping with everybody she could get a hold of. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, James is working all night, sleeping all day, and she is shopping all day and sleeping all night with other people's husbands. Mm -hmm. So they had a second child, Troy, and she was having a pretty open affair at this point with a friend from high school, a man named John Boldies. Mm -hmm. So in early 1960, James wanted to get a divorce, partly because of the spending and her complete out-of-control behavior, partly because he was quite sure that she had been cheating on him. So he went and talked to his parents on the 18th of March, 1960, and he said, I need to divorce this person. They said, families are together forever, and you're right. not divorced. No, Mormons this was a temporal divorced. marriage. That yeah. is not allowed. Mm -hmm. And so they urged him to stay, work it out, figure it out. You're not getting divorced. Well, he wasn't the only person thinking about divorce. Kenny was too. She told him that if she could keep the house and the daughter and $1,000, she would gladly give him a divorce. <laughs> well, they'd been talking about it. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's all she needed. Boldies. So she didn't want her son, huh? Guess not. Boldies had told his parents, or, or, or the police, sorry, later on, that she once offered him $1,000 to kill her husband or to find someone who would. So I think he got a little uh, freaked out, though. He said he claimed later he thought she might have been joking. Uh, sure. Don't know, John. You're having an affair with this fool. She's offering you money to kill her husband. I'm sure that was a big hearty har har. Well, right. on March 19th, 1960. So remember, he talked to his parents on the 18th, the very next day, 1960, around 5.30. She claims that she heard a gunshot in the direction of the bedroom where James was sleeping ran into the room to discover their two-year-old daughter, Dana, standing on the bed next to her father. Supposedly, Dana was holding a twenty-two caliber pistol in her hand, and James <laughs> fortuitously was bleeding from a gunshot wound to the back of the head. Or oh most unfortunately goodness. for James. 
Kenny called the police, but James was dead by the time the ambulance reached the hospital. Police were unable to recover any fingerprints from the well-oiled pistol. A paraffin test for GSR or gunshot residue was not performed on Dana or on Kinney. Uh, many people told police that they had seen James allowing his tiny daughter to play with his guns. And so they didn't think that it was unheard of that she could have actually shot and killed her father on accident. They also did a test with Dana with the gun unloaded and discovered that she could indeed pull the trigger. And so they ruled the case an accidental homicide and closed it. The pistol that killed James was taken into custody. The police refused to release it. Uh, she actually tried really hard to get the gun back and they refused to give it to her. But uh, she, there were several visits to the police station demanding her property and they, uh, by Sharon, and they refused to give her back the gun. So she had a friend buy her an identical gun. That friend told her that he registered it in her name, and she made him go back to the place that it was purchased and change the name on the register. Hmm. Now enter a new player. In Oh, one other last part of that. When the investigation closed, she did receive his life insurance money. It was $29,000. That would have equated to $230,000 in today's money. So about a quarter million dollars worth of money in life insurance. All right. Now enter Miss Patricia Jones. Patricia Jones was married to a guy named Walter Jones, her high school sweetheart. He had been in the Marines when he was discharged. They moved with their two children. Uh, most uh, unfortunately for them to guess where Independence, Missouri Same town. Yeah. Yep. She worked for the IRS. Her husband was a car salesman. Well, one day on April 18th, so exactly one month after her husband died, Miss Sharon pulls up in there to buy a fancy new car with some of her life insurance money. And, you know, the golden vagina shone brightly and she <laughs> managed to enter into a relationship with Walter. Well, they dated for a little while. She really wanted him to leave his wife and become her husband. He was making money. All was well. He was handsome. This is what she wanted. And up to this point, Sharon got what Sharon wanted. Right. Well, he didn't really want to do that. He decided that he wasn't going to leave his wife. So guess what happened? Sharon got pregnant. Oh, my gosh. How she's so conveniently fertile at just the right times. Her, she's quite really good at that. Well, she thought this would be her key, that he would then leave his wife. Instead, he ended the relationship and told her to never contact him again. Maybe he well, was a little more savvy than James. Maybe. Feeling quite heartbroken by the whole thing, you know. Sharon did what any femme fatale would do. She called out to his wife and told her that he was, her husband, Walter, was having an affair with Sharon's sister and asked if they could meet up so that she could share with her the details. You know, <laughs> the good friend that she was. Oh, my gosh. Yes. 
So she says that she met with Patricia that evening to discuss the matter further and then dropped her off near their home, the Joneses' home. Mm. Well, as you might imagine, she never mm. made it home. Yeah. And the next day, her husband filed a missing persons report and started talking to people, just, you know, frantically calling friends and family to see if anyone had seen his wife. Well, he got a lead when he talked to one of Patricia's friends who carpooled to work with her. They told her that Patricia reported receiving a phone call that day from an unnamed woman who wanted to meet with her. She asked the carpool driver to drop her off on a street corner in Independence, which she had done. The occupants had seen a woman waiting for Patricia in another car, but did not recognize her. Guess who did? Yeah. Yeah. Walter. Dumb Walter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dumb Walter. Yeah. <laughs> Dumb Walter. They provided an, you know, a description and he knew what was happening. So he called her. He called her up on the phone and she admitted to him that she had seen Patricia that day, that she met her to tell her about their affair. She told Walter that she had last seen Patricia when she dropped her off near their home and that she had been speaking to an unknown man in a green 1957 Ford. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? How convenient. The uh, mm -hmm. blaming someone else. The affair yeah. was with her sister, someone yeah. in this car. Yeah. Well, based on her admission over the phone, he did meet with her. Uh, on late Friday Friday evening and insisted that she give him more details about where his wife was. Well, she got pretty sketchy. Uh, he admitted going to so far as to holding a key to her throat threateningly and threatened to slit her throat if she didn't cough up the information. Mm -hmm. So she called Boldies. Remember our old friend John Boldies? John, okay. Been having an affair with off and on for a long time and asked him to help her look for Patricia. She was joining the search as a good friend would. This Sharon. Wow. Heart of gold. <laughs> Something. Such a sweetheart. So then they go on a search. Well, shortly before midnight, guess what? They find Patricia. Sharon, the hero, and John, the cheating dumbass, <laughs> find Patricia's body. How in a, Yeah, in the woods. And wasn't that fortuitous? Right. Well, she'd been shot by four times by a twenty-two caliber pistol. a twenty-two pistol. caliber pistol, of course. Yes. Yes, she was. Well, the police thought that they might be smelling a bit of a rat. Uh, well, it took them long enough, didn't it? You would, I, I think so. I think so. So they arrested her and they did an investigation. And after they did an investigation, they also decided that perhaps maybe she really did kill her husband too. So they reopened that case as well. So enter the trials in 1960. This is towards the end of, or for the 1960 murders. Sorry, they mm -hmm. happened in 1961. So I need to get to a different part of my notes so I can break this down. Okay. First, she went to trial for Jones's murder in 1961, and she was acquitted. 
They did not have enough information to acquit or to uh, convict. To convict. Mm. In January 1962, she went up on charges of murdering her husband. Those ended in conviction with a sentence of life imprisonment. But the verdict was overturned because of procedural irregularities. Mm. They went to the trial again, which ended within days in a mistrial. They went to trial again. This time, they ended up in a hung jury. This is in 1964, mm, so four goodness. years after his death. She was released on bond, and the trial was scheduled for yet another date. Well, while she was out on bond, she fled the country and went to Mexico. Uh-huh. And she could have been laying on the beach down there, you know, blasting her golden vagina for all to see and picking up some new wealthy guy. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is what she was doing. But she ended up shooting and killing someone. She just couldn't stop. Mm. Now do you know why in Mexico they called her La Pistolera? Yes, I do. Yes. Now, she says she was acting in self-defense. She shot and killed a Mexican-born American citizen named Francisco Parades Odonez. He was shot in the back. An employee in the hotel where it happened, some glitzy glam place. You often shoot people in self-defense in the back. In the back. Mm -hmm. Seems legit. For sure. Well, the employee came running because of sounds of gunshots. They were also wounded, but did survive. Investigations into the shootings showed that Odonez was shot with the same weapon that killed Jones. Mm-hmm. So authorities and essentially the same weapon they killed James. Killed her, James had had enough of her shit, and they convicted her in October 1965 of the Mexican crimes. So I mean, in from 1960 to 1965, she has shot and killed three people, mm-hmm. and wounded been, a fourth. Wounded a fourth, and those are the only the ones we know about, right? And has been to court many, many times and gotten out of it until now. Now, interestingly, in Mexico, I don't know what the charge was, but she was only sentenced to 10 years in prison. Mm. But after the case went to a judicial review, they tacked three more years on. So she was sentenced to 13 years in prison. Mm. Wow. Well, she served four years. And in 1969, in December, there was a blackout. And guess who snuck out? Oh, my gosh. Went on the run December 1969. Despite extensive manhunts, her whereabouts are unknown to this day. She was never found. And that is the case of La Pistolera. Wow. Yeah. That is a femme fatale. Mm-hmm. Good heavens. Entirely. So, any uh, any thoughts? Yeah, a few. So... Um, I, I absolutely believe she did kill her husband. That that culpability is certainly there. She took and advantage her of her two-year-old fact, daughter. And her two-year-old daughter. That culpability is definitely there, and she just took advantage of that. Um, my sense of her is that she's a sociopath, and that as a child she was very difficult because she really saw herself as better and deserving of more than what her family could provide. Mm-hmm. That they were fairly um, poor and couldn't mm-hmm. provide her a whole lot. But she really saw them as a hindrance to her and really believed herself to be something very special. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously that has played out in all of these different relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I do definitely feel like she committed every single one of these murders. Um, I feel like she wanted the same gun every time because she knew how to use it. Mm-hmm. It was totally a ut- utilitarian reason. She knew how to use that gun. So yep. she didn't want to switch it up because she knew what she was doing with that particular gun. Mm-hmm. Um with the with the the gentleman in Mexico, I feel like she tried to run her game on him and he saw right through her and didn't buy it. And her only recourse was to kill him because uh-huh. she gets what she wants. Uh-huh. I do feel that she fled to South America. Uh-huh. I feel she went south when she escaped from prison and that she you know, learned a bit from being too conspicuous when she went to Mexico the first time mm-hmm. or that, that, that time that she went to Mexico that she mm-hmm. learned from that and became much less conspicuous. But I don't think that this was the last murder that she committed. I do feel that she continued to do these very same things, but she got far enough away from the United States and Mexico that no one would know who she was. Mm-hmm. So she got deeper, like into Latin America. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. That is, that is exactly what my take was. Exactly. And that she's, you know, been making her way through sugar daddies ever since. Mm -hmm. I I do feel like she has killed again since that happened. I feel like that is 80 years old. Yeah. She would be nearly 80 years old now. Mm -hmm. Do you think she's still living or not? I do. I do. She feels still living to me. Um, I do feel she's mellowed a bit and has managed to amass quite a bit of wealth with, um, murdering a couple of husbands and isn't so much um, looking for anyone to take care of her anymore that she's in a position to be able to do that. But my impression of her is that she literally, when she doesn't get her way, the only thing she knows to do is kill the person to get them out of her way. Uh Uh-huh. Definite sociopath. Yeah. Wow. Didn't give one damn about her children. No. That she left behind. Yeah. Yeah. I actually feel like his parents yeah. ended up with their children and mm-hmm. raised them. I'd agree with that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you would frame your two-year-old child for the death of their father. I mean, right. come on. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. 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 It is quite, quite the story, quite the deal. But I do feel like it would, you know, there are lots of questions around sociopaths and psychopaths. Are they born? Are they created? And I think all of the above is true. Mm-hmm. I feel like she was born. I feel like she came into the world like that mm-hmm. and came into the world with, um, you know, expectations that mm-hmm. her family could not supply to her. I feel like mm-hmm. she came into the world with no empathy mm-hmm. and did everything she possibly could to further herself mm-hmm. with really no thought for anyone else. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Really woe beyond to anybody who had to encounter this person. I also feel like when she killed Patricia, that she thought Walter would come running to her. That she Uh thought that would draw him in. He would come running to her Mm -hmm. for comfort and support and that she could be the big hero. Mm -hmm. And even. And that he would be glad Patricia was gone. Yes. He would confide in her that he was just grateful this was over and Patricia was gone. Exactly. And, and that just wasn't the case. He, he started to see through her. Mm -hmm. And when he said he didn't want to be with her and he did want his wife back, it was true, Mm -hmm. but she couldn't process that. Like she did not have the ability to see that a man would not want her. Right. Totally. John 
was John, whatever happened to John? Did it say? Was he ever? Mm-hmm. Never charged or anything. No. I do feel that he was involved after the fact with Patricia's murder. I do feel that he helped her dispose of that body. That when mm-hmm. they went and found it, that he already knew about it and that he knew where it was. That she mm-hmm. had his help with that. That he was kind of her little puppy dog and that would he mm-hmm. would do whatever she wanted. So I don't feel like he participated in Patricia's murder or James's murder, but I do feel mm-hmm. he knew about them. And I do feel that he attempted to help her hide that body to protect her. Uh-huh. Yeah, agreed entirely. I feel like they had helped each other out. In various ways throughout the years. And so there was just kind of an unspoken agreement there that, yeah. you know, that he would do that for her. for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. However, I do feel like she spun him a, a yarn too about oh, what yeah. happened. You know, of course it was, but he was glad to accept whatever it was. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. That was no problem. For he him was always all. glad to accept whatever story she told and he uh-huh. was very much under her spell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you have it. So with these uh, femme fatale segments, and some of them will show up uh, on our YouTube channel. Some of them will only be additional content for our patrons. And that's mm-hmm. one fun thing to know about our Patreon account. If you become a patron, and you just do that by going over to Patreon and looking for True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters, and there's all these different levels of sponsorship. It's just a little, it's a little extra money to help us keep our channel going and keep mm-hmm. our work going. And we appreciate our patrons. Like I can't even tell you so much, but if you become oh, wow. a patron, then some, you get extra content that nobody else gets. And so we have several cases over there that, you know, the public has never seen and won't ever see from us. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of our fun Patel segments go there and some of them go on YouTube. And so, you know, if you're seeing this one and you're not a patron, then know that there's others that, uh, you know, if you're interested in the genre that you could maybe get if you're, you know, a patron. That's yeah. all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> true. That's my little plug. Mm-hmm. But um, at any rate, um, yeah, but if you are listening to this as uh, as a podcast, we appreciate you so much. If you're watching it on YouTube. And, of course, you can find that if you're listening as a podcast. You can find this on YouTube over at uh, True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Yeah. If you're on YouTube, please like and subscribe and comment. Yes. That helps us enormously. And if mm-hmm. you ever have a case you want us to look into, please drop us a line and let yeah. us know. We, watch we do cover cases. Mm-hmm. We've covered a lot of cases because people asked us to, and we will continue. Yeah. Uh, that It could be an ancient case or it can be a right now case. Either way, we're... We don't discriminate. No, so. we'll take them all. Yeah, definitely. We take take them from all over the world, too. We're not just specifically U.S., so. No, of course not. Yeah, absolutely. All righty. Well, thanks, you guys. Take care. Be well. Hopefully, uh, you know, avoid the golden vaginas in your life. <laughs> <laughs> or be one. I don't know. Maybe I have lessons, but. <laughs> hmm, I don't know about that. You guys take care. I'm sure we'll be back with something new very soon. Yes. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews.
True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast. <laughs>